I am, uh, you know, I'm, I'm taken back to Jeremiah, and I shared this at church Sunday. Jeremiah 29 was a, is a passage where the prophet Jeremiah was speaking to God's people, and God's people went into captivity uh, with Babylon because for over 400 years, they did not do what God told them to do. Now think about that. Over 400 years, God said, every seventh year, you will have a Sabbath. And what that means is on the sixth year, I'm going to get, he said, I'm going to give you enough to last you through the eighth year. But on the seventh year, you don't work the ground. You just rest. Let the ground rest. Let the earth rest. And he told his people that. And you go, why did he tell? I don't know. can't tell you, but that's what he said. And they had a command from God. And too often, just like us, what they did is they treated God's command as optional. And they didn't do it. And so for 400 plus years, 490 years, they didn't keep a Sabbath. How many Sabbaths is that? 70. And so he took them into Babylon 70 years. And what he said through Jeremiah in chapter 29 is, now my land's going to get its Sabbaths that you never gave it. Because what God wants to do, he's going to do. And so and, and he tells his people in Jeremiah 29 how they are to respond because that seems to be a question asked a lot recently by Christians. How do we respond as believers in this country? What do we do? And again, I'm going to read it, and I know some of you have heard it. I've read it to myself a hundred times this week, and every time I read it, I'm just convicted by it because this is what he says in Jeremiah. 29. Starting in verse 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I've sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses, live in them, plant gardens, and eat their produce. Take wives, have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons and daughters, give your daughters to in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there, and do not decrease. Now that is right out of Genesis chapter 1 where God tells his people, be fruitful, multiply, go work the land. Go work the land. And so he's telling his people, just because you're in captivity, my commands to you don't change. Don't decrease. Keep doing it. But he says this, he says, seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. A lot of people look at our leadership, and a lot of Christian value people are Republican. I think nobody in this room is really going to dispute that that much, that there's a large part of the Republican Party, or at least what used to be the Republican Party that believed in the platform of the Republic. You may not like the leaders there. I mean, nobody trusts any politicians hardly, but most of the platform of the Republican Party was for to stop abortion, uh, to uh, not codify homosexuality, uh, to not uh, codify things or, or related to transgenderism because those things violate God's word. They violate his principles. Regardless of what some people say, those things are against the values and design that God had for us. So a lot of people 
that would espouse those values are going to vote for a Republican platform because the Democratic platform came out a few years ago and just flat out said, this is what we're going to do. Uh, oh, yes, we're for Christian rights, but we also are for choice, which is pro-abortion. We're also for transgender rights. We're also for gay and lesbian rights. And we want to codify. They prove that by the way the people they put on the courts, the people that, that the legislation they've drafted. So there's a, a, a big animosity between Christians a lot of times, and or at least Christians who want these kind of values. And I'm not talking about liberal progressive Christians. I'm talking about people that would consider themselves Biblicals often called dogmatic Christians because they believe the Bible and what it says. And they, they're not progressive. They're not liberal in their interpretation. So those people have a problem with Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer, the leaders in the Congress and the leaders in the Senate. When they look at those people and hear what they say, there's a lot of animosity. But a guy yesterday stood up. I was speaking on the west side of town. And he said... Me and my wife were convinced, this guy's like 78 years old, and he said, my wife and I were convicted that we need to pray for Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer every day. We need to pray for their salvation. We need to pray for their wisdom, for their discernment. And he said, you need to do the same. He just he said, can I stand up? At the, after I spoke, I said, sure. I don't know what's on your mind, but go ahead. And he said that to all these people in that room. And, and he just challenged everybody. Now, as you think about everything that's going on, whether it's Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer, just put anybody in there that you think are not leading people in a godly way, are you praying for them? Are you praying for them as leaders? Are you praying for the welfare of our city? I, I can honestly say... I don't think to pray for the welfare of myself. I mean, I do pray for leaders, but I, but you know, when I was going over that, I was really convicted about praying for the welfare of Ponte Vedra, of Jacksonville, of Florida, of our country. Not just praying that God would put the leaders I want in there. Do you notice he doesn't say that? In the scriptures, he doesn't say pray that Nebuchadnezzar gets overthrown and a godly person rises up. Now, we would all love that. That's not God's plan for them. You see, God's discipline in His children. And you remember when your dad used to say, if he, like my dad, when he'd spank you, it's going to hurt me worse than it hurts you? Because He loves you, but He wants you to understand what He's trying to teach you. And so, when He says, pray for the welfare of the city, seek the welfare of it, Pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare, that word there is shalom, peace, in its peace you will have peace. Now there were people that wanted to escape God's discipline, but it didn't work out well for them, and it won't work out well for you if you try to get out what God... When God brings discipline in your life because you've been disobedient and not doing what He wants to do, and this is the problem with us as men a lot of times, what happens is we ignore God's commands. All right, If you've ever ignored something you know God wanted you to do because you just either, one, were afraid to do it, or two, you just chose to do it because you didn't want to deal with it, raise your hand. <laughs> 
Phil. We're waiting. Because there ain't a person in this room that hasn't done that. Right? Not one. And, and in doing that, what do, when we disobey God and go against His commands, because He loves us, He's going to bring discipline into our life. Because He loves us. But what I see a lot of times is when we're in the midst of discipline, we beg God to take it away and we don't learn from it. And remember when we were working through Hebrews and we were talking about discipline, when God brings discipline into our life from chapter 12, there's three reasons, remember, He brings it. One is correction. Remember that? And two was protection. To protect us from continuing to do that. And the third reason was instruction. Remember we looked at Job? Sometimes he just wants to deepen us. Which church do you think is deeper in their faith? The church in China or the church in America? China. Is there any question about that? When you have a pastor who's been incarcerated for simply telling people about Jesus, stand up and say, don't pray for my release. Pray for my faithfulness. You can't say that if you don't have depth of, of a relationship with God. You can't. Don't pray for our release or our, our ease of life. Pray that we will be faithful to the one true living God. So he says, pray for the peace of your city. Pray for the welfare for thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you. Don't listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie. They are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. This is, this is the problem. Our president, President Trump, surrounded himself with spiritual leaders that were superficial at best and false teachers at worst. Paula White is a false teacher. That's one of his closest confidants. She's a false teacher. She's a prosperity gospel. These people who are like that make statements of prophecy all the time that doesn't come true. You know what the Bible says you do with those people? You stone them. Now, I know they didn't do that in the New Testament. You don't, you don't see that being done. But that was the remedy in the Old Testament. Why? Because when somebody represents God and says, you know what, Andy? God told me to tell you. That's authoritative. That is the, the Most High God. When God tells you to do something, you better do it. You better do it. And people are doing that. People are saying, oh, you know, Donald Trump on January 20th, he's going to be in office. He's going to be there. It's not going to prevail. All these people saying all these things because that's what people want to hear. And that's what he's saying about the prophets here. Don't listen to these people. They don't speak for me. The people that speak for me know me. And they don't speak lies. They speak the truth. Amen. And that's what he's saying. He says in verse 
10, For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. Talking about Jerusalem. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and you will come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. With all your heart. For 2021, my encouragement for us is that we surrender to the idea that we will seek God with all our heart this year as men. Can you imagine what that would look like if His church, His church here, really sought God with all our heart? Not half-hearted, not when it's convenient, but we really sought Him. And listen, that doesn't mean sitting up at some church building 24-7 and even praying. God wants His people to be out doing the things that His people do. There is a time to pray. And we're going to have some times as a group of men where we're going to get together and pray. And I'm going to tell you, it probably will be a little uncomfortable for you if you've never been a part of anything like that. Believers over in China meet to pray all the time, secretly. They have unbelievable three, four-hour prayer meetings. Have you? I've been to one like that my entire life. One, and it was over in Kazakhstan. And we were meeting in a part of, a part of the country where you couldn't really meet. It was the most incredible thing. I mean, it, you could feel the Holy Spirit in the air. It was unbelievable. I've never been to one like that in America, ever, in my whole life. Because for us, we talk about getting together for a prayer meeting. If we go more than 10 minutes, people are like, man, when's he going to finish? Because we don't see prayer as the work. They used to pray. And, and, and we're going to have some times, and I hope you won't blow it off. I hope you won't just go, well, you know, I, I've got other things to do. Because that is the work. So we're going to have some times of prayer where I'm going to call all the guys from SWAT to come together and pray. And all we're going to do is come around and we're going to spend some time praying together. No teaching. We're just going to pray. And I hope you'll be a part of that. We're going to seek God with our whole heart. And he says, I will be found by you. He wants us to do that. He's not sitting up there trying to trick us. He wants us to seek Him. And I think our attitude ought to be like Ezra had over in Ezra 9. And I'm going to read Ezra's heart. When Ezra goes back with the second wave into Jerusalem, the, the people of Israel had intermarried with pagans. And the problem with that is they adopt those pagan practices. And guys, what we've done in America is the church doesn't look any different from the culture around us. We spend our money the same way that they do. We have the same entertainment habits that they do. Uh, everything, that there's no distinguishing between the church, people of Christ, and the people of our culture. And what about if you go to China? You think there's a difference between people who are believers and people who aren't? Absolutely, you notice it right away. In India, the same thing. The Middle East, the same thing. You can tell 
very quickly those who were not believers because of the, the way they lived their life, because of their motivations. And we wear the Christian name a lot of times just because it's a good way to connect with people in business. Oh, it's the right thing to do. But we don't view ourselves. Can you imagine, Kent, if the Marine Corps adopted the, the identity, the way the church has the identity as compared to the culture, if the Marine Corps had that same kind of philosophy for their identity as it relates to combat? It'd be, it'd be horrendous. We'd get our butts kicked everywhere. And so it's time for the church to stand and to be a beacon. Jesus said, don't put it under a bowl. We're a city set up on a hill. And this is what Ezra says when he realized what was going on. He says, oh my God, verse nine, or chapter 9, looking down at verse 6, saying, oh my God, I am ashamed and I blush to lift my face to you, my God, for our iniquities have risen higher than our heads and our guilt has mounted up to the heavens. From the days of our fathers to this day, we have been in great guilt and for our iniquities, we, are, we our kings, our priests, have been given into the hands of the kings of the land to the sword, to captivity, to plundering, and to utter shame as it is today. But now for a brief moment, favor has been shown by the Lord our God to leave us a remnant and to give us a secure hold within his holy place, that our God may brighten our eyes and grant us a little reviving in our slavery. For we are slaves, yet our God has not forsaken us in our slavery, but has extended to us his steadfast love before the kings of Persia to grant us some reviving to set up the house of God, our God, to repair its ruins and to give us protection in Judea. And Jerusalem. He granted us some reviving to set up the house of our God. You know where God's house is now? It's not a place. It's in us. And if, if you ask Him, He'll give you some reviving to set up that house the way it's supposed to be. But it has to have a humble heart asking. Not to fix your life. So many people repent, and it's not repentance. It's like Esau. When Esau repented, he didn't care about God. Esau cared about getting his birthright back. That's the, So many men, when we fail, instead of coming before God broken like Ezra is praying right here, we come before God, fix my circumstances. Fix them. I want my things put back in order. And God says, you know what? I want you to want me. Want me. Repent. Turn. Don't be self-focused. Be God-focused. I created you for that. Now here's the good news. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, it says that when we are faithless, He remains faithful. Because it's not dependent upon you. That's the best news in the world that God's plan is unfolding and guys if you're his he will continue to 
draw you. Even when you walk in disobedience like me, so many years, I walked in disobedience to the Lord our God. I did things that are horrendous, immoral. I was awful. But I wore the name of Christian and the people around me would have said, oh, Doug, he's a good guy. He goes to church. He takes notes. He says all the right things. But inside, I was a mess. And I made very, very damaging and really bad choices. It could have been life-altering. And God gave me reviving. And when I was broken, I mean, I was. I was broken. I was broken like an egg, man. I was broken. He broke me. Put me on my back. And it wasn't the bird strike. That was part of the process when the bird hit me in 87. But this happened way after that. This was back in the 90s. And one day, he woke me up at 5 a.m. in the morning, and I get up out of my bed, and I go into my bathroom, and there's this big mirror there, and I look, and I see who I am. And when I saw that, I fell on my face, and I began to weep at 5 a.m. in the morning. And I begged God, just like Ezra, God, forgive me for wasting and squandering what you've done for me. Because Jesus died for each one of us. Not so that we could live for ourselves, so we could live for Him. And again, that doesn't mean going to live in a monastery. It means you go about your life, but you do it with a different motivation and you do it as a light and an ambassador. We represent the Most High God. The mission that God always wanted us to have in Exodus 19 was to be a kingdom of priests, a go-between between unholy man and holy God. And in 1 Peter 2.9, He says to Peter, Go! Through Peter, go, be a kingdom of priests. Proclaim the excellencies of Him who's called you out of darkness into light. And we walk as children of light, not because of who we are, but because of who He is and what He's done. And so the question that He, that, that he asks us is, are you going to be my ambassador? Are you going to live for me? Because an ambassador doesn't get to choose what they do and what they say. They represent the king. And that's what Paul tries to bring out in 2 Corinthians 5. In 2 Corinthians 5, Paul writing the Corinthians who were as corrupt as we were, they were, they were awful. They were so pagan and so immoral. And in 2 Corinthians 5, he reminds us of three things. That one, we have a new motivation as His kids. Our motivation isn't the same as when we came into the world. We have a new motivation. And that is, one, when we come into the world, we're self-centered and our motivation is to do what's best for us. But the motivation that He gives us because He died for us and bought us and He revived us is that we live for Him because we know His reality. What would happen, Pete, if God revealed through some prophet that He authenticated as a prophet that Jesus was coming back tomorrow? Would the next 24 hours in your life change? It absolutely would. Why? Because you know. Guys, we all know the reality 
of what His Word says. The problem is we don't live like we know His reality. And we just put it off like we do everything. Why? That's, why do you think Jesus told the parables of the stewards who were given talents or who were put in charge while He was gone? Because He knows the way the enemy works and the way He distracts. And so Paul says, listen, knowing the fear of God, he says in verse 11, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God. Do you know God knows exactly who you are? He knows what you do. He knows everything about you. The world may not know. You can pose for guys in this room. You can pose for people at your place of employment. But you can't pose for God because He knows your heart. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So he's laying out in verses 11 through 15 that our motivation is based on an attitude of gratitude to him for what he's done. Our motivation is Christ's love. The word there, what he says, his, for the love of Christ controls us, that word means not just, it means control or rules. And it's not our love for him, it's his love for us that rules us. That means because you know he loves you and has redeemed you, your identity is not based on what you possess, it's not based on what you do. It's not based on anything other than what He has said and done for you. That He said, you're mine. You're mine. And for that, Paul felt accountable. And I'm going to tell you, we do not like accountability as men, but we should embrace it. Because it's a good thing. It's a good thing called out one of my daughters yesterday on something and she was mad. Wow, she was mad. Just the same way I got mad when my wife called me out on something. Because inherently, we don't like being accountable. Because it reveals our flaw. Can I just tell you, embrace your flaw. Embrace it. Let it drive you to the cross and thank God for Jesus and the cross. Thank Him for it. And let it humble you to know that in spite of your blowing it, it's okay because He loves you. And He said, you know what, Will? You're mine. You're mine, Will. I don't care what you do. What you do can never pull you out of my grip. That is encouraging to me. That should make us want to run through a wall for Him. One died for all. It doesn't mean, that, that phrase, by the way, doesn't mean he died for the world. He died for those who were in him, whose names were written before the Lamb's book of life. 
Because not everybody's going to be saved. He said himself, he says, the road is broad that leads to destruction and narrow that leads to life. Many are called, few are what? Chosen. Chosen. That's what he says in his word. You not like it, but that's what his word says. That's what it says. You have to pull out Romans 9 and 10 to not believe that. But he didn't just die to give us a new motivation. He gives us a new perspective that we, we're not just thankful and live with His reality. We also should be understanding as we deal with other people because they may not be where we are. And we've got to remember where He brought us from. And we've got to see with His eyes. Like Paul said in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 6, 1-6, he says, or not 1 6, 6, I think it's 1 Corinthians 6, where he says, Such were some of you. And he lists all these immoral acts, these people who do immoral things. He says, You were like this, but you're no longer like this because he changed you. And I, 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 I use this fountain illustration, this landscape fountain of a big bowl, smaller bowl, smaller bowl. The very top bowl is us. And the water that comes out is the Spirit. And John 7 says, anyone who's thirsty, come to me and I will, living waters will come out of you. And that water is the Spirit, it says. And so our love for others is an overflow of our own love relationship with God. So if we're dry, guess what? We're not going to love others very well. So if we're not loving others very well, we can trace it back to the fact that we're not loving God very well. Because it's a vertical component that has to happen before the horizontal component takes place. And we see this in Moses in Exodus 32-32 when he went up to the mountain, children of Israel engaged in immorality, comes down and he says, God, he was mad. He was mad at first, but then he was with God for 40 days. Then he comes down and he said, God, if you won't forgive them, wipe me off the book of life. Just take my name out of the book of life if you won't forgive these people. Paul does almost the same statement in Romans 9 where he says that um, I wish that I could be accursed. In other words, I wish I could go to hell so that these, my brothers, could go to heaven. That's a lot of passion for people right there that doesn't come because you muster it up in your own strength. It comes out of an overflow. Revelation of God always precedes relationship. And relationship always precedes radiance, shining, being a light, being hope. If you're not being a light and hope, you can probably go back to your relationship with God and say something's not right. Repent and ask Him to renew you. And third, He says... Well, let me go to 16.17 because that new perspective he says in the Scriptures, from now on therefore we regard no one according to the flesh. That means we don't just see the outside. We see the fact that they are spiritual beings. Yes, even Chuck Schumer is a spiritual being. Is he beyond God's reach? No. He's not. He may not profess to be a believer now. Was Paul beyond God's reach? He murdered Christians. And God brought him and made him one of the great contributors to the Bible that we have. 
He says, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. He's talking about Himself. He's saying, look at me. I'm an example. We regard Him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, He's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, He says, who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us, to you and me, the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making His appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God for our sake. He made Him to be sin who knew no sin so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. We not only have a new motivation and a new perspective, we got really a new power to live out this mission. And the new power is the Holy Spirit itself that will help us to be radiant. We live with His power. If you just try to muster it on your own, you're going to be, man, you're going to be frustrated. It ain't going to happen. It's, it's like having a, a, a nice Lamborghini it's got a nice engine inside and you're trying to push it everywhere. You're trying to push it because God's made you new but you're still trying to live it out. It's like He said to the Galatians, are you so foolish to think that even He saved you in the Spirit now you're going to be perfected in the flesh? No, it's the Spirit. That's why you've got to stay connected to Him. We're an ambassador of Christ, He says. And here's the thing. We can't turn the mission field into our enemies. We can't do that. It's so hard for us to grasp. Matthew 5, he says, you are the light of the world, a city set on the hill. Do people around you see you as that light? Or do they see you as a barrier? We're either a beacon or a barrier. One or the other. There's no in-between. You're either a barrier to Christ or you're a beacon for Christ. Peter says we are His witnesses. He preached. Remember when he went to Cornelius? Cornelius was a Roman centurion. He was a pagan in Peter's mind. So foreign to Peter that God had to tell him three times to go do it in a, in a vision. And then when He sent people... Everything matched up with what God had revealed. So he goes to Cornelius. He preaches the good news. Cornelius falls on his face and the Spirit indwells Cornelius. And now, in the Roman army, there's another believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. So can you be a Democrat and be a believer? Yes. And there are some. Can you be a Republican and be a believer? Yes, there are some. You see, your political party doesn't define your... Christian faith in the same way that I'm not defined by even doing this. I'm defined by one thing and that's the fact that I'm His. That's my identity. And I'm flawed. So if you think uh, you think I got it all together, you're wrong. Because I don't. I blow it every day. But that's why I need Him. And that's the message we take to people. There's hope for when you blow it. Don't give up hope. Be a peacemaker. Proclaim Him. So, as you get ready to leave today, 
I want you to remember that we got to get back to Christ's agenda to seek and save the lost. What's the major obstacle keeping us from doing that? Paul talks about in, in this passage in Corinthians in verse 15. You know what he says? We no longer live for ourselves. If you're living for yourself, that's going to be a barrier to you being a light. And I want you to think, and I had them do this at church Sunday, and I think it's helpful to think. I want you to think of somebody in your life that needs Jesus, that you know they need Jesus. There's no qualms about whether they're a believer or not. And I want you to take 2 Corinthians 5.17, and this week, every day for a week, I just want you to pray this to God. God... Therefore, if Ray, and I substitute Ray's name in, if Ray is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old passes away, behold, the new has come. Lord, make Ray a new creation. Use me somehow in Ray's life this week or somebody to help him know you. Do that. What, what verse is that? That's 2 Corinthians 5.17 where Paul says, Therefore, if anyone, instead of anyone, put the person's name. And pray for them every day this week. And if you're not a new creation, I pray that before you step through that door, you and the heart of your hearts, will, your heart will, you will have a heart transaction with God to say, God, make me a new creation. I want to be yours. I don't want to leave this building without you changing my heart. I want to be yours forever. So Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the reminder that we are a beacon. We are a, a lighthouse. We are hope. I thank you, Lord, for every man that's here. And I pray that you would raise up an army of ambassadors that would go out and be your light to this world that desperately needs it. I lift up Ray to you, Lord. I know that, Lord, he doesn't believe in you. And I pray for him. I pray that you would bring people in his life around him that would just be reminders of your love for him. And I pray that you would make him a new creation and you would make all things new in his life. And, Lord, if there's anyone in this room right now who's never bowed their heart to you, I mean really bowed all of it, not just part of it, not done the religious thing, but they've never bowed that right now today they would embrace their sin and know that they are sinful and acknowledge that to you right now. And they would acknowledge their need for Jesus and His death on the cross. And they would receive the hope that He gives today and you would make them new right now. Just tell them that that's you. that you want to be His and you want to be new. And maybe you already have done that, but you've not been living like an ambassador. Repent. Profess it to Him right now. Confess it and tell Him. I've not been living like an, an ambassador. Today, Lord, make me an ambassador. I can't do it. But I, I know you can do it through me. We love you. And Lord, we just pray that you would hear our prayer. Make us new. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.